Whoop, whoop, whoop. So many exciting things to tell you. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Number one, my book is now free, a digital version of my book, Building Simple Habits to a Healthy Me. You can just sign up and get it for free. Number two, come and say hello on Instagram. I'm having fun on Instagram doing exciting reels. Number three, I have four amazing packages for my Positively Healthy program called Magical May exciting exciting if you want to find out more book a call and let's chat and lastly remember radiate and renew four simple habits simple but mighty habits is starting may the 15th so come and sign up for that Welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Carrick. I teach busy mums who are trying to juggle everything to transform their lives, to lose weight and lead a healthy life so they can feel fit and fabulous. On the Fit and Fabulous podcast, we chat about nutrition, healthy living, emotional wellness in a way that you can apply to your life. I'll show you how to stop being frustrated and overwhelmed with healthy living and how to make it fun and easy. You're invited to sign up to my free New Me workshop. Change your mindset to healthy living in five days. Get to the bottom of those I can't do it thoughts and transform them into wow, it's so easy and fun. You can sign up at drorlina.com slash new me. That's doctor, D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new line in the middle, me. Hello and welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Kerrick. Today we are talking all things diabetes. Now, diabetes is a really scary disease. There are so many people who have diabetes and so many people who don't know that they have diabetes. And the really important thing, the real message that I want you to get from today's podcast is that if you make good nutritional choices, you can avoid diabetes. And I think this is such a powerful message. So today we are talking to Julie Doan, who is a pharmacist who specializes in diabetes. And she is going to give us all her expert knowledge on diabetes. And she's going to explain to us how diabetes, um, what happens when we have diabetes, and also all the things that we can do to prevent ourselves from getting diabetes. Now, if you are concerned that you have diabetes or that you have the symptoms of diabetes, I have put together a little quiz and you can go in and tick off the things that you have and it will grade you as to whether you're high risk of getting it in the next few years or low risk. So I will leave a link to that in the show notes and you can do the do I have, am I at risk of diabetes quiz. So over to Julie. Hello. And welcome to Fit and Fabulous. I am super excited to welcome Julie here, who's going to be talking to us all about diabetes. Julie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you, Arlena, for having me. Such a pleasure. Do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, of course. So I'm a pharmacist and health coach in Montreal, uh, Quebec, Canada. And I help women with prediabetes and diabetes um, improve their diet, lose weight, and lower their blood sugars so that they can reduce the number of pills they take and prevent the progression of their condition. So I chose to help these uh, women with this particular metabolic condition because as a pharmacist, I mean, I know how pills can only do so much if you don't improve your overall lifestyle habits. And I used to work with patients who had very advanced stages of diabetes and suffered um, kidney failure. 
and heart disease as a result for this. And each time we prescribed them a pill or insulin, I swear it was only a matter of like months before the medication would either wear off or we would need like a higher dose or we had to add another agent. So having only medication in my arsenal, it was like, extremely frustrating for me as a healthcare professional to not be able to help my patients more. So I knew I needed more in my toolbox than just medication to help people. So that's when I got really interested in holistic nutrition and preventative medicine and combining my background in conventional medicine and pharmacy with my knowledge of holistic health, I am really dedicated to helping women with or at risk of diabetes. Fabulous. And now most of the work you do is online. Is that correct? That's right. Fabulous. And we will talk about that at the end. We'll ask you where people can find you. But let's dive into diabetes because I find diabetes one of these really scary statistics there are so many people who have diabetes Mm. now sadly my own uncle died at the end of last year now it wasn't a personal tragedy because I didn't know him very well Mm -hmm. but it was a tragedy in that he had diabetes for a long period of time he had a leg amputated so it wasn't like he didn't have any warnings Mm -hmm. and then sadly he died and to me the tragedy is that that death could have been prevented had he been educated right at the front. So tell us all those scary statistics about diabetes. Of course. So, I mean, we just to look at, you know, how many people does it affect? Um, I know there's numbers around 100 million U.S. citizens are living with diabetes or pre-diabetes. And I'm pretty sure there's similar numbers in Canada and Western Europe. And I think what's even more scary is that um, there was a study done by the National Diabetes Statistic Report. And it says only one person in four actually knows they they have diabetes. And when it comes to pre-diabetes, only about 12% of people actually know they have diabetes. Uh, this condition. And what's really, I guess, scary about this is that diabetes and prediabetes, as you mentioned, there's so much that can be done around it to either prevent it or to, you know, help its progression. So that's why it's really important to raise awareness uh, around, you know, um, the risk factors for people to know, okay, should they be screened? Should they check with their doctor if they have uh, prediabetes or diabetes? And um, what I do encourage for people to get screened is usually if you're over the age of 40, um, if you have a family history of like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, or even if you're like physically inactive or overweight, you should really talk with your doctor about it so that we can, um, if you do have prediabetes or diabetes, we can catch it as soon as possible because the earlier you, the earlier you act, the better it is. And also, kind of going on this on this um, on this tangent is that if you have prediabetes and you leave it untreated, well, you can pretty much develop diabetes, full blown diabetes, within five to ten years if you don't do anything about it. So again, it always comes back to you know um, acting as soon as possible, really focusing on prevention, because I mean, diabetes is not only a you know. So we often think, you know, okay, it causes high blood sugar and things like that. But as you mentioned for your uncle, there is um, if your body is constantly exposed to high level of blood, high blood sugar, it could lead to amputation, heart attack, stroke and blindness, which are honestly devastating complications. But we're always going to come back to this is that despite these very, I mean, devastating complications, there is something that we can do. We actually have the power to act on it 
if we uh, we catch it uh, early enough. Absolutely. So can you explain to us what exactly diabetes is? Yes, of course. So type 2 diabetes is it's a chronic disease in which the body cannot uh, prop, either properly use the insulin it produces or doesn't produce enough insulin. So that comes, kind of brings us to the question, okay, well, what is insulin? Well, insulin is a hormone that controls the amount of glucose. So that's a type of sugar that we have in our blood. And our main source of glucose comes from our food, and mainly those containing um, carbohydrates or, you know, as we lovingly call them, carbs, uh, whether it comes from a piece of bread or vegetables. And as a general rule, each time we eat something, glucose is going to be released in the blood, and it's just going to be at various, uh, various degrees, depending on you know how much carbohydrates this food contains. So when the amount of glucose in the blood starts rising, insulin, um, our hormone that is released from our pancreas, it's like a, it's an organ, it, it's released, and its job is really to take that glucose out of the blood and bring it into our muscle cells, because um, our body doesn't like having, you know, high level of, of blood glucose. So it's going to try to shift it somewhere else. And insulin is going to bring it to our, our glucose to our muscles. And most often our muscles are going to take this glucose and bring it inside their cells. And they're going to use it to be able to fuel, um, fuel its need and to function properly. However, if your muscles have enough glucose in their storage and you don't need a new supply, whether because it's... Um, you haven't been doing a lot of physical activity, so you haven't been really using up a lot of the sugar and energy inside your cells. Well, your insulin is going to bring your glucose to uh, your liver and your fat cells, and you're going to store the excess glucose away for later use. So either as glycogen um, in your liver, or it's going to store it as fat in your fat cells. So I'll talk about this later, but insulin is also a hormone that makes us gain weight and store fat around the belly. So anyways, if you just go back to the case of diabetes, if your insulin um, isn't being produced enough by your body or it's not working correctly to move your glucose from the blood into your cells, where the glucose is going to stay in your blood and it's going to cause your blood sugar to rise. And high blood glucose or sugar levels, as we, we mentioned, is toxic and can damage the organs, uh, blood vessels, and nerves. Also, if your if your insulin isn't working as it's supposed to, our cells isn't going to be getting the fuel it needs to function correctly. So these two problems are going to cause the symptoms and signs that we typically have type two diabetes. Now, if we look at prediabetes, we often define it as a medical condition where blood sugar is above the normal level, but it's still below the threshold of diabetes. So I like to explain to my clients. Well, the prediabetes is like very early, early stages of diabetes, or it's like the very beginning spectrum of the disease. You're not fully there yet, but if you um, don't do anything to change your habits, you are going to be on your way to diabetes. Okay, so let's start right at the beginning of that process. Mm -hmm. And so can you explain to us how things go wrong right at the very beginning? Yes, so often where things start going wrong is or the cause, I would say, is our Western diet that is highly processed in carbohydrates. And yeah, that, I would often say that is the starting point. So when I say high in a diet high in carbs, what I usually mean by that is when your diet is 60 to 70% of your calories comes really from carbs. So you can, uh, um, if you look at a standard Western diet, what that could look like is having Cheerios for breakfast, after having a cookie or donut as a midday snack, after having a sandwich for lunch, a chocolate bar in the afternoon, pasta for dinner, and maybe 
you know, like popcorn or cake or something like that at night. So that is um, a diet that's very high in carbs. And we talked about how foods that are high in carbs is going to trigger the release of insulin. So the more carbs you eat, the more insulin your body has to produce to metabolize all this carb and deal with your raising blood sugar that uh, your food is causing. So in people who eat a diet high in carbs over several years, or actually sometimes, um, in some cases, actually in several months, we actually see their insulin level raising above the normal range. So even if these people don't actually have a medical condition yet, and they're seemingly healthy when you look at their you know, blood sugar levels, they are actually putting themselves at risk in the long term of making their body consistently produce so much insulin. And one of the very early signs of somebody who has a higher than normal level of insulin is um, fat that accumulates around the belly as opposed to the other parts of the body. Okay, but what you're saying is that people can be apparently very healthy and still have Mm -hmm. raised insulin levels and raised glucose levels. And I have to say, I myself had my, we won't go into all the different tests, but I had my, what we call the three-month glucose checked. And it was a couple of years ago now, and it was after Christmas, and so that's a bad time to have that blood sugar checked. <laughs> but, right. you know, I was swimming twice a week and eating what I thought was a healthy diet. And it was raised a little bit, which I found, you know, it was a good wake up call for me to think, oh, you need to really look at your carbohydrate levels and have a think about how much carbohydrates I was eating. But I didn't mm-hmm. really realize that, you know, I thought, oh, I'm eating relatively healthily. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. Okay, so can you explain to us about how insulin levels prevent people from accessing their fat stores? Because this is what you're telling us, that, you know, your insulin levels go up and they basically help people put on weight, which doesn't sound great. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely. And I think this is often something we don't talk about because for so long we've kind of believed that what makes us gain weight is an excess of calories. So not to say that that is not true, but we're kind of forgetting the role that insulin plays in um, our in gaining in gaining weight. So if you recall in the beginning, I said that insulin has two functions. So one, it helps regulate our blood sugar level, but two, it also it's also our fat storage hormone. So to explain this, we're going to go and use the following scenario to better understand why insulin, but also a diet that's high in carbs is going to make us gain weight. So let's say you eat a piece of cake. Uh, you can imagine there's probably a lot of carbs and glucose in that. So when your body is able to digest it, a large shot of glucose is going to be sent in your bloodstream. So this is obviously going to stimulate a very high dose of insulin to be secreted to deal with this glucose. And the glucose is going to try to sweep up the, the sorry, the insulin is going to try to sweep up this glucose and deliver it to the cells of your working muscles for energy. The problem is often, um, and I have kind of mentioned this before, is when your muscles aren't being very active, they don't really need all this glucose you're bringing to it. So whether that means you're sitting on a couch at a desk or a dinner table, like our, just our current lifestyle, it kind of makes us not use our, our energy storage very much. So when this happens, our muscles are going to pretty much tell the insulin like, okay, sorry, I don't need that, all that glucose you're sending me. And the insulin is going to try to find another where to another place to put all this glucose because it doesn't want it to stay in the blood. So it's going to store it in the liver and in the fat. However, your liver only has a very limited amount of space to store all this glucose. So most often insulin is going to be storing your excess glucose um, in your fat stores. And 
And what it tends to do also is not only fat, you know, all over the body, but it really concentrates around the belly area. So when people say, you know, um, you know, I've, I've been dieting, I've been restricting what I eat, but I still have so much trouble losing this weight around the belly, it's often because of your insulin. And again, it's not a problem of calorie intake. It's really about your insulin, um, always storing this excess glucose uh, from your high carb diet into the area around your belly. And the second reason why um, insulin makes us gain weight is because insulin prevents another hormone called glucagon from uh, working. So glucagon is our hormone that is responsible for increasing our blood sugar when it goes down too low. So this often happens, you know, overnight when we're not eating anything. So we're not feeding our body with extra carbs or glucose. So usually our glucagon is going to go in our fat storage and burn down those storages to transform it into glucose. So again, our blood sugar doesn't go down too low. The problem is when our diet is continuous, is always so consistently high in glucose and also um, your higher levels of insulin, glucagon is just not able to function. It's um, Your body is, is not going to be secreting it at all. So you're basically preventing your fat-burning hormone from working by always having your blood sugar levels so high and also your insulin level. So for these two reasons, I mean, a diet high in carbs is going to cause us to gain weight. And it's often the reason why we recommend um, people who are looking to lose weight, and especially people with prediabetes and diabetes, to adopt a low-carb diet. Fabulous. Now, I have to confess that when I was at medical school, biochemistry was one of those things that I really didn't like. But I'm just going to recap. (laughs) And what you're basically saying is that insulin not only stops us from accessing our fat to use it as a fuel because when you want to lose weight that's what you want to be doing you want to be losing Mm -hmm. using fat as a fuel source but it also helps us preferentially store glucose as fat when we don't really want to be doing that is that correct okay and so what happens next in this process if this carries on for a period of time yeah so if um if this keeps on go, if this goes on for several months or several years of continuously eating a high diet in carbs and always demanding so much um, insulin from your body, it's your body can develop a condition we call insulin resistance. And while insulin is a very important hormone, too much of it can be very dangerous for the body. I mean, for example, um, if you were to have a sudden a sudden dose of um, very high dose of insulin given to you, your blood sugar is going to fall too low and could actually cause you death. So obviously your body does not want to have your blood sugar go down so low. So as a defense mechanism to very high levels of insulin, your body's going to start responding less to insulin as a way to protect itself. So your body's basically going to start ignoring your the, the signals that insulin is giving, and it won't allow it to do its job correctly. So perhaps better to better explain this. Um, when you think about it, the human body is extremely smart, and it has so many ways and mechanisms to maintain a certain level of balance. So for example, when you're too hot, you're going to be you're going to sweat to bring your body temperature down. When you're cold, you your body makes you shiver so you can bring up your your body temperature. So these are just examples of your body adaptation to short-term changes. However, when your body is constantly exposed to a stressor over a longer period of time, your body is going to adapt itself to create a new state um of balance, I guess you could say, so that the structure doesn't become so much of a problem. So in other words, your body's going to create this new normal. Um, to further explain or give you a better example, if 
you maybe have noticed that people who live near a train track, in an airplane, or even, you know, like restaurants and clubs, they barely notice the sound of the trains and airplanes anymore. And to them, it just becomes white noise, and their body has adapted to this stressor, which is the very loud noise, and it just became like a part of their new, like a new normal. So in the case of insulin resistance, your body and cells simply start responding less well to the effects of insulin to protect itself. And as a consequence, your body, your cells, um, they just don't let the glucose that the insulin is trying to bring them. The glucose is going to stay outside the cells and inside your blood, and your blood sugar is going to continue to rise. And to overcome this insulin resistance, because obviously your body doesn't want your glucose to stay in your blood, your pancreas is going to try to pump out um, more insulin, you know, to raise up the levels of insulin so that your body can, um, so that the insulin can actually push the glucose into your cells so that it doesn't stay in your blood. And, you know, this is a temporary solution. Your cells kind of comply, you know, they let the extra glucose come in. But eventually, as your body is exposed to these higher levels of insulin, again, it's going to have that defense mechanism kick in and it's going to start again responding less well to these high levels of insulin and so this vicious cycle continues and your pancreas again has to work harder to pump up more and more insulin and eventually after you know working overtime for several years your pancreas is just going to call it quits you know and just start producing less insulin and this is as you can imagine it's quite bad news and your your blood sugar level is going to go even higher than before so if at this point it hasn't already, this is when your blood glucose can reach the threshold for prediabetes or most often cases if your pancreas is already starting to, you know, call it quits, you're probably at the stage where you're diabetic. Just thinking about what you were saying about white noise and it made me think of my sister who used to live in King's Cross in London and oh my goodness it was so noisy and I could never sleep and she would always sleep perfectly. But so what mm-hmm. you're saying with insulin resistance is that your body stops responding and so you your insulin levels go up and up and mm-hmm. at this time you're always storing fat as well aren't you so the insulin is exactly. still helping the the fat cells grow bigger until eventually mm-hmm. your pancreas just goes kaput and stops producing insulin and this is the beginning of diabetes Exactly. Or even sometimes diabetes will actually present itself prior to this. But it's kind of also the reason why, you know, we say that diabetes is a progressing disease. It's because we are continuously overworking our pancreas until the point where our pancreas isn't able to produce any more insulin. So it's either at that point that you have diabetes or sometimes it's before. Okay. And so I just quickly wanted to ask you about diabetes medications. And we don't want to do much about medication because we're all about prevention which we will get to Mm -hmm. see (laughs) but just if you could explain quickly what people will be offered when they have when they get to the medication part yeah sure so often oral medication is really focused on bringing down your blood sugar um because Yes, most of your medication is really going to target the blood sugar. So it's either going to, the medications that you're going to prevent your body from breaking down its glucose storage and preventing it from being released in the bloodstream, or it's going to help your pancreas produce more insulin. And if oral medication is not enough, um, isn't strong enough to bring down your blood sugar to a certain range where we're often going to prescribe insulin injections to supply more insulin uh, to your body because your pancreas isn't able to, um, to provide for it. 
So unfortunately, um, medication doesn't address the root cause, which is often our diet, our lack of exercise, and the fact that we have something that we've developed called insulin resistance, and really only deals with the symptoms, which is the high blood sugar. So this is why often, uh, you know, medication by itself is not going to be the answer to managing your prediabetes or your type 2 diabetes. We really have to address the lifestyle habits that contribute to the main, I would say, the main cause of your prediabetes and diabetes, which is your insulin resistance. Fabulous. And we will get on to those lifestyle choices in a moment. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, <laughs> could you just explain how people find out that they have diabetes? Of course. So this is kind of the tricky part because often prediabetes and diabetes, it, it doesn't have very specific or well-defined symptoms. And often it can just be like, an incidental finding when um, when somebody goes to their doctor for something else and the doctor just kind of thinks of, hey, maybe I'll just check your blood sugar level on a blood test. And we find out that, oh, you know, you're you're pre-diabetic or you're diabetic. So often, you know, we find it, um, I guess, by mistake. So that's why, again, um, raising awareness around, you know, who should be screened for diabetes is so important because we don't often people don't always have the symptoms. So again, somebody who's over 40 has a history of diabetes in their family, um, who has high cholesterol, high blood pressure, inactive or overweight, should really talk to the doctor and ask to be screened. Um, For the symptoms that do occur, they could be a bit, um, I would call them a bit nebulous because again, they're not very specific, but it could be um, feeling fatigue, having a lot of cravings, mainly for carbs. And also having difficulty losing weight, especially around the belly area. And when your insulin resistant is at more advanced stages and you're probably more at a stage where you're diabetic, some people could experience symptoms as um, feeling like having blurred vision, um, feeling very thirsty and urinating often. Okay. And now prevention. Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about the prevention. So how do we prevent diabetes? All right. So if you under if you let's say have to take home a message from today is really insulin resistance is the cause of prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. So if you want to prevent these uh, conditions, we really have to keep our insulin levels low or within normal range. So one way to do this is to play on our diet. So to limit the carbohydrates that we eat by limiting processed foods. So often when I talk about carbs, you know, I just want to make sure people understand that not all carbs are evil. You know, I'm not saying I'm not, putting, you know, waging a war against carbs because your body needs them to function and it needs it to thrive. However, the quantity of carbs that the standard either North American or Western diet provides really far exceeds what uh, is required. And also it's the quality of carbs that is so poor. So we often, you know, if you compare processed foods um, to whole, 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 like whole food carbs, honestly processed foods, you know, lack vitamins and nutrients and fiber. So right now, the best thing you can do is to really just focus on eating a whole food uh, diet that includes a lot of green vegetables, berries, um, like beans, whole grains like quinoa. They're going to provide you with the carbs that are good quality that you need and also that are full of fiber and vitamins. So for now, don't get too obsessed about, you know, macronutrients ratios and things like that. Just focus on eating a whole food diet. That's a great place to start out. Fabulous. It is all about the vegetables. This is my, <laughs> exactly. my big How message. Your should all be vegetables. <laughs> Absolutely. What other, what other tips do you have for us? 
So, again, um, speaking about the diet, uh, we what we can do is avoid added sugar. So whether it's processed sugar, like, you know, high, um, you know, fructose or basically like natural sugar, we're adding maple syrup. This is something that we can play on. Um, because whether the it's processed sweeteners um, or natural sugar, they still have the same effect on your blood sugar and are going to have the same effect of asking your body to produce a lot of insulin to kind of deal with uh, this influx of sugar in your blood. Sorry, can you just say that again? Are you saying that artificial sweeteners increase your blood glucose levels? Oh, I was saying like white sugar and like uh, more like uh, corn syrup, things like that. The, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, those ones. So I would definitely recommend avoiding uh, that as much as possible. And if you need something to kind of sweeten your, I guess, the taste buds, it's always better to go with natural um, natural alternatives like, you know, fruits and berries to try to sweeten your foods. Yeah, one thing I would say about that as well is when you mm-hmm. stop eating processed foods, your taste buds change. And um, I think they say it takes two weeks to regenerate your taste buds. But actually, as mm-hmm. you do that, you notice that other things are sweeter and you that those natural flavors come out far mm-hmm. more. And when you're used to eating all those artificial sweeteners, you just don't notice the sweetness because it just pales in comparison. So I do find that... You know, you just don't miss sugar once you stop eating it because you just adapt. Exactly. I mean, there's that little period of adaptation that some people find, you know, a little bit dull because they're like, well, everything tastes so bland. But if you are willing to hold out for those two weeks, you're really going to get the rewards of, you know, actually tasting what, you know, real, you know, real food tastes like, which is so much more rewarding. Okay. And you've got some more points here as well. Exactly. So it kind of comes back to the first point, but just to really have a focus on fiber, because consuming, you know, high fiber foods like um, uh, well, mainly in your green vegetables and your whole foods, it's going to really also help you regulate your insulin resistance and also stabilize your blood sugar levels. So again, we're all we're always thinking about okay, what food can we eat that is going to keep our blood sugar levels and our insulin levels on the in the normal range. So. Uh, as we already mentioned before, one easy no-brainer way of eating more fiber is just, you know, half of your plate, have it um, be composed of vegetables. Absolutely. One thing mm-hmm. that I totally love about this podcast is that I've had other experts on and we've talked about um, heart disease and cancer. And mm-hmm. the advice that all you experts give is all basically the same, which I totally love. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because- There's not like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, it's just that when I was at medical school and um, we would talk to doctors and they would say, or, you know, the senior doctors, and they would say, mm-hmm. well, if there's one way to treat something, that means that there's a lot of really clear advice that, or clear evidence that that is the good thing, that's the way to treat people. But if there's lots of different ways of doing it, then it means that the evidence isn't really there and we don't really know what the research says. But I think really what I hear from talking to people in different fields is that it's exactly, exactly the same, which just makes me feel it is easy. And there's only, well, mm-hmm. the message is easy, not so much that the the doing it is easy. But anyhow, yes, I have a podcast coming up on fiber, which is mm-hmm. how to eat 30 grams of fiber a day. So I will refer people to that so that they oh, can check excellent. Can't wait to hear that one. <laughs> The other point that I had is um, eating more healthy fats. So there's there's two reasons for this. So the first reason is fats 
it really has the least impact on our blood sugar levels and it's also going to have the least impact on our insulin levels. So again, we're always thinking how can, what can we eat to stabilize our blood sugar levels and have the least impact as possible on our, on our insulin. So that's why I try to talk also about healthy fats. The other reasons for this is also because they can train, um, they contain amazing nutrients like omega-3s that are going to help in inflammation. And it's also going to allow us to feel, feel fuller um, for a longer period of time. Because often when people, they cut down on, let's say, their carbs, if they don't try to balance it out with either increasing the you know protein or their fat levels, they're often going to be left feeling hungry. So that's why so many people, when they go on, you know, quote unquote diets, they feel kind of miserable and hungry. It's because they're not balancing out their proteins and their, their, their healthy fats to compensate for the carbs that they are cutting. Absolutely. Well, I was just going to say that one of the things I like about fats is that it's actually really Mm -hmm. difficult to overeat fat. I made some beautiful mayonnaise a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and ate a little bit too much of that mayonnaise and I felt sick the (laughs) entire afternoon. Whereas when you think about carbohydrates, it's actually Mm -hmm. relatively easy to overeat carbohydrates. Like hands up who's ever eaten an entire packet of cookies before or a bar of chocolate. But Mm -hmm. when you overeat fat, your body kind of goes, no, you have to stop this immediately. (laughs) Yeah, it's like our body seems to have kept intact that um, that instinct to know, okay, when is it enough? When is it good? Like, when can we stop? So definitely, I definitely agree with that. And if somebody's wondering, okay, what is a healthy source of fat? I usually favor plant-based fats. Um, so your olives, avocados, nuts, flax seeds. Um, and, you know, it, could also, it also resembles a very Mediterranean diet. So we can include a lot of, you know, fish like salmon that are rich in omega-3s so those would be my recommendations for healthy fats hooray the mediterranean style diet again (laughs) (laughs) yes we love the mediterranean diet do you want to talk a little bit about protein as well um sure i mean i do believe that most often the things that people kind of get right is the protein level because usually most people eat about 20 percent of protein so i feel I don't put so much emphasis on this per se in my recommendations or things to change because often I feel that people are, get their 20% uh, from their caloric intake. Was there something that you wanted to perhaps mention from your talks with your experts? No, no, that was it. It was just okay. that um, okay. you were saying that most people do get enough protein. Mm-hmm. And yeah. lastly, in diet and lifestyle, what's your last point? I would say move your body because when I've mentioned that you know, when insulin is bringing glucose to your muscles and your muscles are telling it, you know, no, it's okay, we have enough storage of glucose in us. It's because the reason that they they are refusing the glucose that your insulin is trying to bring them is that maybe you aren't, we aren't moving our bodies enough because in order to, you know, use up the the glucose storage in our muscles, well, we have to move. So the more active we become, the more sensitive our cells become to insulin actions because, the muscles are going to start accepting the glucose um, inside. So um, I would say, yeah, definitely move your body. So not only, you know, for the cardiovascular um, benefits that, you know, most people talk about fitness, but also to increase your insulin sensitivity. Um, I don't know if that, that's, you need any clarification about that. No, I, I, that okay. goes along very much with what I say. I mm-hmm. always say that, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to lose weight, um, Exercise is not a great way to lose weight, but 
I do think people should exercise and it's a yes. good adjunct <laughs> to losing weight. And I definitely exactly. think everybody should be exercising and a lot of people don't get as much exercise as they they need. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I have a, another podcast on exercise as well. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, reversing diabetes. And, mm-hmm. you know, once you've got diabetes, can you go backwards down that track? Yeah, I would say... From what I understand and what I'm, I'm reading is there definitely a debate and some, I would say some controversy around this in the medical community because some people or some doctors really believe that, yes, it can be fully cured and others believe that, you know what, it can be very well managed with lifestyle habits, without the pills, but people are always going to kind of remain predisposed or at a higher risk of redeveloping diabetes if they're not you know, very careful, very intentional with their diet and also with their exercise. So, I mean, I one of the things where we're at. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the studies that have been done, mm-hmm. and there are quite a few studies now that have been done. Um, it's interesting, actually, because I was talking to a friend who's also been on the podcast, and she has been doing um, weight loss for twenty years now. And mm-hmm. talking to her, she talks about anecdotally people who twenty years ago would re- significantly reduce their weight, and by doing so, reverse their their diabetes and that was before mm-hmm. they started doing tests but mm-hmm. they have had some tests done um and the first ones i think i don't know if they were the first ones that were ever done but there was a gentleman in newcastle in the uk called um professor i have to get his name right roy castle i think his name was mm-hmm. and he took some people and he restricted their diet to 800 calories so they significantly lost weight and mm-hmm. over a period of time significantly calorie restricted them and reverse their diabetes and I know there are other studies as well and I think Mm -hmm. perhaps where the controversy comes in is that it only happens there's only a window of opportunity because presumably by the time if you've totally totally made your pancreas go kaput it's never going to start regenerating and I think that's the Mm -hmm. you know there's a window of opportunity that you've done so much damage to your pancreas but you can reverse that if you catch it in time but beyond Mm -hmm. a certain time you're just never going to be able to do that because your pancreas has just gone you know mm-hmm. it's obviously still there but yeah that, that makes total sense so I think that's my understanding of it but that you know people who have pre-diabetes there is a possibility of reversing it by doing this significant weight loss I guess so mm-hmm. what is your your take-home message so I would say my take-home message is pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes are really conditions that are mainly caused by insulin resistance. So in order to treat and prevent these conditions, we really have to make lifestyle choices that decrease our our need um, of insulin or decrease our insulin resistance, such as favoring a whole food diet that is low in processed carbs and by remaining physically active. So also to keep in mind, you know, that these are conditions that can be very well managed without pills and that we have all the tools and we have the power to naturally heal our bodies. So we it's we don't have to necessarily say, how can I? It doesn't have to be a chronic condition that cannot be cured. That's what I'm trying, I guess, to say. And um, yeah, I think those are, those are the key I messages. I think that's a really so. powerful message. And I totally <laughs> applaud that message. I think it is about realizing that it is something that is 
preventable uh, not for mm-hmm. 100% of people but the vast majority of people can prevent mm-hmm. it through mm-hmm. what are essentially simple lifestyle changes but that people just don't really understand they don't take on that message and don't realize mm-hmm. that what they're doing is really very damaging to their bodies exactly so before you tell us all about where we can find you do you have any last words for us if you have listened to the podcast and you believe you might be at risk of having prediabetes or diabetes, please go see your doctor and ask to get tested and screened. It's such a simple process. And if, you know, you do unfortunately end up having prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, know that we're able to catch it, you know, as early as possible and to treat it. So really it's to get screened if ever you have any of the risk factors. Fabulous. And tell us a bit about the work that you do online and how people can find you. Yes. So I work uh, one-on-one with clients over a period of 12 weeks. And together we look at, um, you know, we create strategies to improve their diets. So in order to decrease their insulin resistance. And also we, um, we basically we create together tools and strategies to help them um, create skills to, you know, meal plan, uh, manage their stress, exercise more. This pretty much everything that we talked about today, how to create a healthy and sustainable lifestyle habits for them. So if ever you want to know more information on what I do, um, I could be found at um, Instagram, either at Julie Doan Health, or um, you can visit my website, which is juliedonehealth.com. And you can always have access to my free starter kit to better manage your prediabetes. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Arlena. So there you have it. Everything that you need to know about diabetes. So thank you so much, Julie. Remember to go and check out her website. I'll put the link in the show notes. And remember too, that if you are concerned about diabetes, you can do the Am I at risk of diabetes quiz? And also go and check up with your family doctor. And also I'd like to remind you that every Thursday I'm doing a live class. And the class at the moment is how to lose weight to regain your health. And if you attend live, you can ask me questions. So come and sign up for that too. Goodbye. For listening to this episode of Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Alina. If you enjoyed it, I would be really grateful if you could share it with a friend. Every time you share a podcast episode with a friend, it helps me to reach and help more people. Remember, you're welcome to sign up for the new me challenge. Dig out those I can't do it thoughts and replace them with wow, this is easy and fun. You can sign up at drlina.com slash new me. That's D-R-O-R-L-E-N-A dot com slash new dash in the middle me. Have a lovely week and see you next week. Goodbye.